I really hate that saying that those who can't do teach. It's really the worst and should be erased from this earth. <laughs> um, because it's you're doing so much as a teacher. And if you are the kind of person that enjoys being active and on your feet, um, enjoys interacting with people, enjoys like being a lifelong learner and being open to constantly learning and adapting and growing, then teaching is a perfect profession for you. Welcome to the Learners and Teachers podcast. I'm Karin Loda. Today, I speak with Liza DeWitt, a student in the learning and teaching program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Prior to coming to Harvard, Liza spent several years teaching and supporting students at Gabriella Charter Schools and as a City Year Corps member. Let's hear more about Liza's journey. Liza, thank you for being on the Learners and Teachers podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I wanted to start with talking about your family. Uh, you come from a family that is musically talented. What were some of your maybe earliest memories of either your mom or your dad in some sort of musical context? Yeah, well, the first thing that pops into my mind is every morning, like weekend morning, when I would wake up and come downstairs um, for breakfast. My dad would have a playlist on already and the, the house would be filled with music, um, usually like Motown or soul or something like that, something upbeat. Um, and that was a really wonderful experience looking back. Um, and then my mom started her own company where she hired music musicians and, entertainer, and entertainers for events. So she often had them over for parties and there were open jam sessions. Um, and yeah, my dad used to play in guitar in a band and still teaches himself new things and um, ukulele. So it's, I think it definitely has inspired me and was fun to grow up in that household. You started dancing at a very early age and you got exposed to a lot of different types of dance. What are some of the things that you look back on as potentially like maybe moments where you realized, oh, this is not just something like my parents are maybe encouraging me to do, but this is something that I'm enjoying? Hmm. Um, well, I think it was mostly, besides when I was three and my parents signed me up for dance classes, um, I never felt forced to do it. So I always wanted to go and ended up um, taking classes multiple times a week. And then I did um, ballet pretty seriously during the end of elementary and into middle school. And I felt like it was challenging because it was like six days a week. And then I went on point, which was painful, but, um, but I also wanted to do it and I was motivated by the upper levels at the dance studio that I went to and watching the older girls um, was very inspiring. So I definitely was motivated to do ballet, although I stopped doing it once it got too intense. And, um, and then in high school and college, I chose my own more alternative styles of dance and that felt really meaningful. You mentioned motivation, and I thought before we get to high school or college, we could go back to sort of like earlier in your childhood. Um, and at one point, you were diagnosed with an apparent learning disability. Um, what do you remember about that experience, um, and how did that maybe affect your motivation or approach in class? Yeah, so that had a huge 
impact on me. Um, I think it was when I was in third grade. Um, I went to a public elementary school in my neighborhood and my third grade teachers wanted to assess me to be in the gifted program. Um, but through that assessment process, I did really poorly on the assessment and the tests um, and um, other things that my teachers noticed were that I didn't participate in class a lot. Um, I was pretty quiet, but I did well on like my classwork. Um, so I didn't do well on tests or in um, like verbal participation, but I think that my, my teachers still thought I was intelligent. So they were confused about that discrepancy. And I remember um, getting a, or going through like ed psych testing um, with an educational therapist or psychologist or whoever does that. Um, and yeah, they just discovered a couple of mild learning disabilities. So one was um, a visual tracking disorder. So like it was, re I really didn't like reading actually when I was a kid because um, I read really slowly and I really liked being active. And I think maybe part of that was that like I would visually jump a lot while I was reading and like skip lines by accident or like skip words. Um, which made it hard and so I got glasses that were specifically to help me with visual tracking and those I still use those today when I'm reading or writing so that helped and then the other thing was um, what was called having a slow working memory which is the ability to um, intake information process it and then create some sort of new idea or output um, quickly. So again, not like I wasn't smart or like wasn't thinking, it, I was just a little bit slower at processing. So those are the two things that were identified um, early on. And because my family had the resources, I was able to get the support I needed right away. I went to a private educational therapist for a few years to help me work on those things and make sure that they weren't inhibiting my progress or success. So, um, yeah, and I'll get to this later when we talk about high school, but um, when I realized that I was getting that individualized support, I, um, I felt like as a teacher, I really wanted to provide that for all students, especially students that didn't have the resources to get that, um, you know, private um, educational therapy, but that I wanted to provide that for students in school. Um, regardless of their um, resources. Well, let's, let's talk about the high school that you went to, and you went to Wildwood in Los Angeles, and what did you feel like was different there that was giving you the support or encouragement or scaffold or tools that you needed? Yeah, so I really wanted to go to the public middle school that all my friends went to, <laughs> um, but I think my parents definitely made the right decision for me, and they knew that based on my learning experience in elementary school that I would benefit from going to a private school where there were lower um, like student to teacher ratios, so small class sizes and a lot of um, academic support and also a lot of like arts and opportunities to be creative and project based learning. So, um, wait, what was your question again? <laughs> what did you feel like was different at Wildwood? Right. That 
maybe enable the success. So put another way, were your parents right in kind of making that decision for your family? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, they definitely were. And like I mentioned, the small class sizes were really helpful for me um, because it helps me to have a relationship with a teacher and be seen and known. I think that benefits every child, but I, I appreciated that. Um, we learned through essential questions and, um, like we, I don't remember having any textbooks. I just remember reading, you know, novels or, um, historical f books that weren't like in the form of a textbook that you would see at a typical public school. Um, also we learned through interdisciplinary studies. So. Um, like whatever we were learning in history was connected to what we were learning in English and math and even in the arts. So it was really um, fun and nice to see the connections between um, the different content areas and they didn't feel like isolated. Um, yeah, and just the community there, like I felt like my teachers cared about me as a whole person, not just as a student, and I developed really close relationships with my teachers, and I still have those relationships with them to this day. Um, and yeah, a lot of collaboration, like collaborating on projects with other students. Um, and oh, the best part was actually the exhibitions. So after 8th, 10th, and 12th grades, I had to compile, well I had been compiling a portfolio of all of my work for two years and then um, at those landmarks I was, all the students had to go through all their work, reflect on it, identify strengths, stretches, which are like weak areas and goals, and then present in front of teachers, parents, and friends. Um, what, what we thought were our strengths, stretches, and goals. So um, self-reflection, reflect, reflection on my learning was incre incredibly important and um, helped me understand myself as a learner. Um, and that's information that I've taken with me past high school, which has been very beneficial. How do you think your experience in high school may have influenced the type of college you sought to go to. Yeah, so I went to a pretty small high school and then I went to a small liberal arts college and I don't I don't think I would have done well at a big university just because I was used to the small class sizes and the community feeling. Um, so I knew that I, I wanted to continue learning in that type of space for college. So you went to Bates College, um, mm -hmm. where, um, among other things, you minored in dance, mm -hmm. um, and connecting back to what you talked about in your childhood. Um, and you also wrote a dissertation that examined Afro-Brazilian dance. Mm -hmm. I thought you, uh, it might be helpful for the listeners to understand some context on like why you first ended up looking at that form of dance, what experience led you to that, and also um, if any way that might have been an, uh, an experience that shaped how you thought of yourself as a learner or potentially as a teacher in the future. Mm. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that opportunity to write a thesis 
and I was actually a music major, but I pretty much, I mostly wrote about dance. I wrote a little bit about music, but because I went to a small liberal arts school, I could really do what I wanted with my thesis. Um, but I was really attracted to Brazilian music, and I just really enjoyed listening to it in the U.S., and then wanted to go there, basically just because I love the music so much. Um, so I lived in Salvador, Brazil for five months, and that is, um, there are a lot of, a large Afro-Brazilian population there, so a lot of traditions, um, culture, food, music from West Africa, mostly Nigeria, um, is present in northeastern Brazil where I was. So um, I learned Afro-Brazilian dance and drumming there, and I just felt very alive when I did it and went to classes on a weekly basis and um, learned about the religious context that it comes from. Um, and basically, there are different deities in this um, Afro-Brazilian religion called Candomblé, and each of the deities represents a different natural element. So you have one that represents like water and wind and earth, fire, war. War is not a natural element, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so yeah, we were like dancing those elements and um, connecting to spirit through the movement and it was just very fulfilling and um, my thesis ended up being about Afro-Brazilian dance in the U.S. and actually how this dance form is being taught in the United States and how, what it provides to um, like secular non-Afro-Brazilian practitioners that are just dancers and curious about this dance form. Um, but yeah, I felt like I was, I was doing ethnographic research, so I interviewed people, I observed dance classes, and then I also did like theoretical research, and it was just so fun, and I felt like I wanted to do it, and I think that's definitely connected to my Wildwood education, um, which emphasized lifelong learning and just, you know, doing things that you're interested in that make you feel excited. And so I definitely felt that way during my thesis. After you graduate from Bates, um, you end up working at City Year. And um, for those of us who don't know what City Year is, you might share a little bit about why you chose to be there, but also how that let you connect with students. Um, because it's a very different way than connecting with students than a teacher might, and yet could be very essential for those students too. So what do you remember about that experience in that year as a core member? Yeah, so City Year is an AmeriCorps program um, where core members are um, men tutors, mentors, and role models. That's our title, our subtitle, um, in some of the most underserved, under-resourced schools in urban areas across the country. So I was working in um, at a school in Boyle Heights in East LA, adjacent. Um, and I was working with seventh graders and I had, during the school day, um, I had a group of students who were 
at risk of failing or dropping out in a math class and an English class. And my role was just to go in um, once a day and support them in a small group in the back of the room on whatever the teacher was teaching, whatever content they were learning that day. Um, and I really appreciated that opportunity because I don't think I was ready to be a teacher yet. I was, I did, I chose that because I wanted to feel out like whether or not I wanted to teach. So I thought that being in that supporting role and being able to observe teachers and classrooms and students would help me decide. Um, and it sort of did, but I still wasn't totally sure at the end of that year because teaching is insanely challenging. It's the hardest job in the world so, and I don't, I don't think I was ready still at the end of that year. But um, I wanted to better understand the learning conditions in an under-resourced public school because I hadn't, I didn't go to one as a student, but I felt strongly about um, seeing like, because people talk a lot of negative stuff about those schools and um, sometimes it's true, but I think a lot of the times it's not true. Um, so I was wondering like, could the kind of education that I had at Wildwood even be possible in this kind of space and why or why not? So I was there to also better understand that question. Do you remember noticing anything about the relationships between the teachers and the students uh, while you were working at City I Year? I do, yeah. They were not good. Um, I remember, I'm not gonna name their names, but um, I remember this one English teacher was just so, so mean and sarcastic to his students and condescending and he was a white man and the students were almost all Latino, yeah, from Latino families. Um, and probably first generation or second. And um, he just had like no respect for their culture, their background, their situation, and would say things that were like really just demeaning and um, I couldn't believe it. I remember like jotting them down in my notebook and just being like, WTF, like this is crazy. I can't believe a teacher is speaking to his students like this. So that was infuriating. Um, and then another teacher was just like mean, like you could just tell that the students felt disrespected. Like they, they, they know what that feels like. And so obviously they didn't want to do any like good work for their teachers because their teachers were not respecting them. And I'm not saying that all teachers in these in schools like that are the same at all. I don't like to generalize, but I'm just saying what I observed in these two teachers' classrooms that I happen to be in. Um, and that definitely motivated me too, because I was like, these kids and every kid deserves to be fully seen and acknowledged and celebrated um, no matter where they're from or what they're socioeconomic statuses or any other kind of status um, and yeah so I was like uh, motivated by that too.
So after that experience, you end up going on to work at um, Gabriella Charter Schools, where you have a variety of roles. You said earlier that you weren't sure you were ready to be a teacher, and you weren't uh, like a lead teacher right away, but um, what do you remember about that transition and that first year um, mm -hmm. at Gabriella? Yeah, um, so at Gabriella is a K through eight dance-based charter school, which is really cool because I love dance. Um, but I was working with, I was very open to any grade level when I got there and I was assigned to like kindergarten through second grade to be an instructional aide. So I would do some clerical work for the teacher, like copies and prepping materials, but also pulled small groups of students. Um, and yeah, again, like you said, I, wa I still wasn't ready to be the lead teacher because I knew how much responsibility that was and I just wanted to be good and I felt like I still wasn't prepared. Um, so doing this kind of role as an instructional aide was really nice because I could still work with kids and be in the classroom and observe um, teachers. Um, yeah, so that was a really nice year. And then actually halfway through that year, I was asked to be a one-on-one -on -one um, special education instructional aide because they needed more and thought that I would be a good fit. So I went on to do that, which was very challenging, but also fulfilling in some ways. In addition to those roles, you end up being a long-term substitute in kindergarten, mm -hmm. and then you go on to be a lead teacher in third grade, which, mm -hmm. going back to our earlier part of our conversation, was when you had a formative mm -hmm. learning experience. Mm -hmm. How do you think your memories of um, your public school experience, Wildwood, Bates, and there are a lot of places, or even the year's city year, or the year at city year as a mm -hmm. core member, maybe start to inform how you were thinking about being a presence in your classroom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, to be honest, I think it was confusing to have all of those different experiences and influences um, on me because, um, so starting with my experience in third grade, um, my response to that was to be like extremely patient and empathetic with students who might have learning disabilities or IEPs um, or Could you explain what an, IEP oh, is? an individualized learning plan mm -hmm. um, and or any other like social emotional issues that might be impacting them so I felt like overly aware of those students um, and I think that made it hard for me to fully challenge like some of the more advanced students actually because I was really focused on the ones that I like I could identify with a little bit more um, so yeah it, it was really hard to balance you know when you're in when you're teaching a class with such a huge variety of levels it's hard to meet all their needs especially as a new teacher so that was a challenge um, and then with the Wildwood background, um, I think I was like, oh, I know that, you know, project-based learning can work, but because I was new at teaching, it was like pretty messy and <laughs> didn't really go how I uh, would have liked. 
And then um, with the city year experience, I wanted my st I wanted to value my students' cultural backgrounds, um, and so we would do different activities to celebrate that, like sharing, um, show and tell, or like reading different read aloud books. Um, and then what was the other? And yeah. So it was a little confusing for me. I was like, I don't know. I have a lot of different things that are affecting my teaching practice and I just didn't feel um, like strong enough my first year or even as, as a long-term sub and my first year to like bring all of that together. It's, it's hard. What felt different in your second full-time year? Um, I mean, it was still hard the second full-time year. I think it takes a really long time for teachers to feel like they have things under control because there's just so much going on and so many things to be aware of all the time and take care of. Um, but I tried to, the second full-time year, I tried to just prioritize a few things and um, differentiate more for the different levels in, the, in my classroom. So I tried to not do everything. As you were thinking about your potential stretches as a teacher mm -hmm. rather than as a student, mm -hmm. um, what made you think about spending a year uh, at the Harvard Graduate School of Education? Mm. Um, I just, as after my second year, even after my first year of teaching and my second, I wanted more support, um, meaning like I would have loved people to come in or administrators or other te experienced teachers at my school to give me some like observe me more frequently and give me um, feedback and then some coaching um, and it's just so hard when everybody's so busy and has a ton of work like it's hard to um, make that a consistent thing um, so I was just ready to be in a space where everyone around me was learning and supporting each other. Um, but I also just wanted to take a year to reflect on my experience that I'd had at Gabriella and think about what I wanted to do next because I was almost like not sure if I wanted to keep teaching. Um, and I thought I was thinking maybe about policy or advocacy or something that's outside of the classroom. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just get, I wanted to be re-energized and re-motivated because I was just sort of like burnt out already, which is very common. Um, yeah, and I wanted to be in a space where like I would be around a lot of really passionate educators or perspective educators um, and it's been what I had hoped so far. You said earlier when you were talking about Bates that you didn't think given your experiences you would maybe do well at a large university but you are at a large university and maybe a smaller school among that large university but you're here and you are doing well. What do you think is different for you either as a student or what do you think is now different about your perception of yourself as a student if it's not the actual skills or things that might make you successful here? 
Hmm. I actually hadn't thought about the fact that this is such a large university um, because HGSE feels really small, even though there's like 626, I think, um, master's students, which is really big. Um, something about the whole, like when I was applying here, the communication from HGSE was really personable and it just, it didn't feel like a big university, but on the other hand, I was trying to avoid taking the GRE for a while, so I actually applied to a different graduate school a few years ago, um, and I didn't like it. And so I told myself, I'm gonna wait a few years, and when I feel ready to go back to, for my master's, like, I want to go to a really great university. So um, I just knew, I mean, I knew that I wanted to work in education for the rest of my life. So I wanted to go to a top university where I would be getting the best preparation for that. Um, so yeah, it just felt like the right time and I felt confident enough in my, like I said, like my decision to work in education, even though I didn't know exactly in what capacity or what role, I knew that this was the, the field that I want to be in. Um, and now I've decided that I want to go back to teaching in another kind of school, like it, a more similar to um, Wildwood, the school that I went to as a student, to get that experience as a teacher. What's one thing that you have learned about yourself as a teacher already in the last um, four or so months that you've been here at Harvard that you think will enable you to overcome some of the hurdles you've already encountered? in your career? What have I learned about myself as a teacher? Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that I have the ability to lead groups. Um, I have learned that like this is a cliche phrase from like sociology or like or no social work like lean into the discomfort <laughs> feel like I've just really embraced that and know that that's the only um, way to create change is like if I am trying to avoid like a hard conversation or a, t a tough situation um, just leaning in and and trying my best is way better than you know trying to avoid it or work around it. So I feel just a little more prepared to tackle challenging situations because I know I've done it to an extent already, but now I have a little more confidence. There might be people listening to this podcast who have thought about teaching, but have maybe also felt that it is one of the hardest professions in the world. Why should more people be teachers? when it is such a hard profession and isn't one of the higher paying professions, at least in the United States? Mm. Um, yeah, I really hate that saying that those who can't do teach, it's really the worst and should be erased from this earth. <laughs> um, because it's, you're doing so much as a teacher. And if you are the kind of person that enjoys being active and on your feet, um, enjoys interacting with people, enjoys like 
being a lifelong learner and being open to constantly learning and adapting and growing, then teaching is the perfect profession for you. Um, and you don't have to feel like, oh, well, well, personally, I, and still, I'm like, what would I teach? There's not like one subject that I'm really, you know, brilliant at or like know a ton about. Like, I feel like I'm, um, I'm more interested in the process of learning and um, just seeing people get excited about ideas and um, growing. Um, so yeah, it's so dynamic. It's, it's ch it like, I just can't even imagine sitting at a desk and like having an office job because that seems so boring and teaching is never boring. And it's, um, and you can shape future generations. Like that, that also sounds cliche, but if enough people who are motivated um, to do that are doing it, I think it could be, have pretty incredible results. Conversation with you is never cliche or boring. Thank you for your insights <laughs> today, Liza. Thanks, Karin.